DACA, ITIN, first time home buyer or want to invest? Embar Mendez is a bilingual agent with Remax Real Estate Results, ready to help you. Call or text her today to talk about buying or selling property at 479-879-3398. Hey everybody, this is Irvin and we're back with the District 3 Podcast, episode number 70th. Um, and a lot has happened since the last episode. The elections have been called. The presidential elections have been called. And as most of the people that probably listen to this podcast are way happy with the results that um, Joe Biden has been elected as the 46th president of the United States. Um, so it's good news for a lot of us. Manny's actually not here today, but he'll be back next week. Uh, joining us, we actually have a guest who I've known for quite a few years now. He was the president of the Young Democrats of Arkansas. Um, he was also campaign manager for my campaign back in 2016 when I ran for uh, state representative in Springdale. And currently he is an attorney with uh, Wells and Comstock, right? That's right, yeah. Um, Ezra Smith, thank you for joining us, Ezra. Yeah, Irvin, thanks for having me. And congratulations on making it to episode 70. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I mean, whenever we started, we were just like, let's go ahead and give this a try, see if it works out. But we've interviewed so many cool people, um, learned so much from different people that, you know, everybody has like their own movement, their own like passion. And, and, and it's it feels so good just to kind of give people a platform, but at the same time, just learn from them, you know? Um, so yeah, we're episode 70th, and of course we brought you here so we can talk a little bit about the elections, because I know that's something that you're super passionate about as well. But first, I mean, I brought up the fact that you were a campaign manager for my campaign back in 2016. Um, you're from Fayetteville, right? Yep, yep, born and raised. Okay. Um, how, does, how did that feel whenever you kind of just jumped into Springdale? Because I know that it definitely, it definitely was something that... It was definitely a learning experience for both of us, right? But you coming into a district that's predominantly, you know, like Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, whatever you want to call it, and Marshallese, um, and it's and it continues to grow. Can you talk a little bit about that experience of, of what you felt jumping in here and uh, what you took out of it? Oh, yeah. Well, I think first I should say I definitely didn't come alone, right? And you, I, in a way, you really had three campaign managers, you know, yeah. there was Austin Ross and Aaron Gibson and Paley Sexton and all definitely. these other people. Um, so I want to back up too, and I grew up in Fayetteville, I went to school in Fayetteville. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was young, and, and my dad and I actually lived with my great-grandparents over uh, in Springdale, just off by the water park. Um, and so, you know, growing up it was kind of like seeing the transformation generationally happening in Springdale, and I would see that when I was there with, with my dad, and just, you know, watching even our neighborhood transform, right? Seeing new families, and it's just a vibrant new community in the making that's kind of I think is becoming you know even bigger now so coming back to Springdale for me was I think it was it was a reminder of okay you've seen some of this place but you didn't you're not from here right you yeah. don't know this story you I forgot of, that you were that you were kind of raised here a little yeah bit too. a little well just like a little bit right I mean yeah. you know when your parents are divorced you're on you know the different schedule right so it was like Tuesday Thursday every other weekend for just a few years I would yeah. be in Springdale um, so anyway I, you know I was coming back to that I was in school uh, in between college and law school and I don't know, I, I guess you come back to it and you see how much it's changed first. And then you take a better look at it and you see all the things that are happening that are a part of that change. And I think and it took me a long time to learn it because I kind of had to get out of the head of a Democratic, you know, campaign wannabe. Yeah. Um, but being like, OK, what is happening here and how can I 
introduce myself to, you know, all the things that are going on and, and be a part of them and not, you know, I think campaigns often kind of crash land in communities, right? They show up and they're like, hey, we're here, we want your vote, we want this, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And I think a lot of 2016 and reflection for me was, okay, how much can you look around at the things that are already happening and how can you compliment them? Or how yeah. can you, you know, a lot of times, right, it's, hey, how can I be of assistance to the good work you're already doing? Mm -hmm. I think they're, you know, I think we ran an awesome campaign. I think we did a lot of stuff that's, you know, I won't say groundbreaking because I think that's reductive of the work that was already happening, but we definitely, yeah. you know, we, we, we plowed through a new area, right? And I don't know, the coolest thing, I, I guess, looking back at it is there's just so many young people who were involved in it, who mm -hmm. have stayed involved in it. And, you yeah. know, and they're, they're leaders in different things. In some cases, they've started organizations or gotten involved in other ones. But just, I don't know, to see this community of people who kind of, I got to meet in Springdale, I don't know, and just see all the things they're doing has been, I don't know, it's just kind of lovely. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I, that I talk about all the time is whenever um, you were one of the people that asked me to run for office, right? Yeah. And I know that, you know, whenever I was campaigning and people ask you, like, you know, why I decided to run for office, you don't normally say, oh, this person asked me to do, you know, you talk about what your passion is, which I was passionate about it, yeah, right? Yeah, of course, of course. But that's something that you kind of taught me a little bit about, um, for me, it, it definitely was something where um, it felt out of this world, like, I, it didn't feel for me, it didn't feel like in my reach, like, I felt like this was something that other people did, not people like myself, and it's very sad that, that sometimes it takes more people, specifically for women, to ask them, you know, several times before they even decide or even think that they that they're able to run. But I kind of feel like the women have kind of been some of the most effective legislators that we have oh, here yeah. in Arkansas, specifically here in Northwest Arkansas. Oh, yeah. You know, with Nicole Clowney, mm -hmm. with with Megan. Megan Godfrey, Denise Garner. I mean, yeah. these, are, these are all just these are powerful ladies, right? But that makes me think of two things. I think the first thing is, you know, the mission that I felt in 2016 was, hey, Democratic Party of Arkansas, why do you act like Springdale doesn't exist? Yeah. Why do you give tacit support to candidates of color who are running in Springdale? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like the silly little things, but it was like putting the headquarters on Emma and saying, hey, Democratic Party, when you yeah. meet, you're not going to go to Fayetteville. You're going to go to Springdale and you're going to say, here's where we're going to do some work. That was we so didn't, cool. You know, we didn't win, but it was, it was like, hey, you know, come embrace this community and, mm -hmm. and understand it and, and be a part of it and then see the, the I don't know what, what can happen and I think the second thing is politics like so many things is about space right and are you are you opening up space for other people to come in no. or are you occupying that space and so when you talk about you know voters of or, or just candidates of color uh, female candidates I mean candidates who just don't fit that you know that white dude mold right mm -hmm. yeah I mean there, I think it's I think it's a no-brainer that it would take more to get that candidate to run, because if you're a person just in the room at a Democratic Party function, you know, and I think of, you know, being a young like high school student in 2011 and 2012, being in the Democratic Party event in Little Rock, you know, the folks on the stage they all look like me, mm -hmm. you know, and for the most part, I mean that they're all dudes too, right? Yeah. I mean, and so, of course, it's harder because I think you look around. And, and now I think the effort, right, and I think that every candidate that runs and every candidate that wins, it kind of, it solidifies the, the normalcy of seeing a diverse slate of people on the stage, a diverse slate of people speaking. And it's, I mean, I don't know, I think you can look around in history and just say it also leads to better policy, right? Just more opinions, more perceptions, more, more people saying, hey, this is how this, this is affecting us, right? Here's how we can tweak it or make it better. But I don't know. I, 
we've done a good job, I think, in recruiting a lot of wonderful candidates and making sure that we're focusing on making sure that those candidates are diverse. Mm -hmm. But like anything, right, it's like, are, are we doing it? Are we putting our money where our mouth is? Are we really yeah. out there working, right? Yeah. Or are we just saying, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of kind of doing this? Yeah, I think one, one of the first, I think it was actually the first place I ever saw you. It was like at the Young Democrats convention, I believe. I, think, I right. think Myra, I forgot if, yeah, I think Myra was, uh, was a speaker at, at some part of it. And uh, you were on top of a truck. And you were giving a speech, and I was like, "Dude, this guy." I was looking at you. I was like, "This guy seems like the guy that just like you can tell that he just wants to run for office one day." You know, yeah, like the worst. <laughs> blonde hair, hair three piece whites. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Sure. Like this, oh, like, yeah, this guy, yeah, you know, sure. with the suit jacket. You had a little like a uh, I forgot what you had, but it was like a like a tan suit. No, yeah. And you were talking. Like, like, I was like, "This guy. This guy wants. <laughs> this guy wants to run for office." Um, but one of the things that I, that you talk about a lot sometimes is like the like you have to kind of give opportunities to people or communities who haven't had those opportunities whether it being women whether it being people of color and i kind of have seen you take a step back from that idea of running for office yourself oh yeah well you know i mean in like 2012 when i was young and in college and then in the young democrats i just oh my head just ballooned right, right. i was like oh i'm just so involved i've got two feet square in the democratic party right i know these folks we're having you know this is so cool this is what running for office must kind of feel like you know am i, am I getting ready to do that and then i think this is actually i mean it's a good story you know i really wanted to run in 2018 mm. in fayetteville mm -hmm. And as I tell people, and then I met Nicole Clowney, yeah. right? And it's, and it's not that Nicole Clowney is a qualified woman, it is that she is an astounding human being, right? Yeah. I mean, but the question I kept coming back to was, okay, you know, you could run, I mean, a primary is not a bad thing, right? But what, you know, it, the gnawing thing at the back of my head was, do you value inclusion, right? Do you value opening up space? Or are you in this because you just want to be in charge of something you know mm. do you just want to be in you know and getting this attention that a candidate gets and I think it was like you've got this great candidate who's phenomenal and it was this personal lesson that I went through just to say you can be a lot of things right and you can run and you can be in office but a lot of ways right you can just step back yeah and just say you know look at all the good things that happen even when you kind of make room, right? I mean, because I think if I were running against Nicole Clowney, I would have been trounced out of Fayetteville, right? <laughs> but it was, the, it was kind of the audacity of like, how could you run against this person who is so eminently qualified, so fantastic, right? And your argument is gonna be like, what? Do you know what I mean? So like Jed Ducker, pretty much. Yeah, it, well, that's exactly <laughs> right. right? And, like and I think it, embarrassing, he kind, of, he kind of embarrassed himself, right? Yeah. Because he, he put his, his, you know, his, he's a white guy, right? He's got the power of the Republican Party, all these kind of insider things, right? These he things literally that, moved, like, into a house a week before the, like, I think it was, like, a week or a few weeks before the deadline. It's just so shady. Yeah. It's just, and, and it's so, and I guess the word is entitlement, right? It is the thought of... The audacity. Yeah, well, it's, but, it, but it's the thought of, um, you know, I've got these traits, so I'm just, I'm just as qualified. And it's like, mm -hmm. man, you're not. Right, yeah. Megan Godfrey is a phenomenal legislator. She mm -hmm. listens to her constituents. She works for them. You know, it is a full-time job. And so, I don't know, I guess the more that I step back and the more that I just try to play, you know, the assist, or, I mean, I love being, you know, a campaign manager or mm -hmm. a worker. I just, I like that role. Um, I don't know, I think it's just, it's kind of good for your ego. It's just yeah. good to, to step back and then, you know, you see the ways that you can help and these great products that come and you just, you can't be mad at your decision. Yeah, I can definitely relate because, I mean, 
um, earlier this year, I was actually thinking of running for Ward 1 in the Spring Hill City Council. Okay. And I told myself, I was also like, is this an ego thing? You're like, is this right. like, oh, just because, you know, every week I hear, Irvin, when you're running for office again. Well, sure. You know, and yeah. my, first of all, Myra, my wife, she hates that. She hates when people keep on asking me, like, or are you going to run for office? You're not telling me anything I don't know. I lived with you guys for two years, <laughs> That's basically. true. That's true. So she tells me, like, you know, they're just making your head bigger by constantly asking you. And I get that, and it's kind of cringe sometimes. I get it. But I also appreciate the people that, that believe in me, right? Yeah. But I had to do an ego check myself, too, and be like, is it, is it uh, the right moment for me to run, or should I ask other people? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I asked two people. And one of them was a woman of color, mm -hmm. and um, she decided to run, Mayra Carrillo. Yep. And, and this is not my wife, this is a friend, Mayra Carrillo. Mayra Esquivel is my wife, but uh, people get that confused all the time. So Mayra Carrillo, um, she ran, and I was so happy about that. You know? And I was like, that's groundbreaking, a Latina, a Mexican, a Mexican woman of color yep. to run for office for the first time ever in the city council was like, I mean, big. that's citywide, right? This is not a small, this, yeah. is, this is, you know, I'm running out here for the, and, and, and that's a bad policy, right? That's, yeah. a, that's an unfair and racist policy that mm -hmm. exists, but she challenged it directly. And she got pretty close, too. That's right. You know, that's she got right. pretty close, and she dealt with a lot of, a lot of pushback from conservative crowds just because mm -hmm. that she didn't, her views didn't really align with, you know, the west side of Springdale, right? And, this, and I'm not just saying this because, like, I, be, I don't want people to think that I'm just trying to say, you know, I give opportunities now. It's just reality where you kind of have to take a step back and be like, you know, what's best for my community? What's best for this moment? What's going to inspire people right now um, and change things? Yeah. And I think, I think an opportunity will one day come for you, Ezra. And I think, sure. uh, I think you, should, you should definitely step into that because um, I, just by knowing you, you know, we kind of had a little growing pains at the beginning. <laughs> You know, sometimes I had to tell you some things and you have to tell yeah, me some things. I, right. I still remember that. But sure. um, I think we've kind of became better people coming out of that of that campaign. And and uh, we need more good people, you know, like like you um, in these positions that know what they're talking about and are willing to take a step back when needed. Yeah. To well, give that, other people opportunities. That's the cool thing about being an organizer. Right. It's like seeing the opportunity in other people. Right. You know, and saying, OK most of the question most of the time is of resources right mm -hmm. most people can't be involved in politics because they either have to be working all the time or they don't have the money right or the power or the influence mm -hmm. and so just like your story i mean it, and just like running in city council yeah. i think when you have those feelings of like you know hey i, I want to do this or i want to be you know something big in politics right i mean if, if you have a lot of privilege like I do, right, just as just, I mean, just my ethnicity, and I live in the South, right, I'm a dude, I'm a lawyer, you know, I mean, my mom's a lawyer, right, it's just, yeah. it's a lot, it's a lot of unearned privilege, no. and I think the more unearned privilege you have, it's a healthy track to say, hey, okay, if I want this thing, like you said, stop, and go ask people, you know, who are maybe not stepping up, mm -hmm. and saying, what, do, what, what, or even you? don't think they can step up, that's right? right, yeah, and that comes back to the organizer part of it, right, which is training and resources, right, because mm -hmm. just giving people resources, and sometimes it's just encouragement, yeah, you know, just to say, because I can remember us going round and round at the Onyx and Harbor in Springdale before you were running, mm -hmm. and all of the concerns you raised were absolutely valid, right? I mean, I was like, I work at eight to five. Well, yeah, right? I ain't got no money. Right? My family friends don't have any money. Like, right. who am I gonna ask for money? Much less the whole, you know, how how am I gonna cope my own personal politics, speaking for you, right, mm -hmm. into this Democratic Party mold, right? Yeah. You know, this. I mean, you want me to come and be a, a Democrat? Yeah. Right? I mean, so it's like all these complex from just the, hey, how am I supposed to run a campaign and work? 
versus mm -hmm. all these other hard questions. And so to the extent I think that you can help bridge those divides, mm -hmm. I think it creates great outcomes. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm so proud of our campaign. I'm so proud of the campaign you ran mm -hmm. because I think at most turns it was saying, hey, if you're not, if you've not been involved before, that's fine. You don't have to have experience or knowledge or insider know or friends or family. Just if you believe in this, we believe in you. Most of our campaign was like first timers, yeah. people that had like gotten involved. students, retirees, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just people who cared about Springdale and were like, yeah. I'm, I'm into this, you know, sign me up. Yeah. And I think for the most part, you know, those people and other groups that kind of make up the coalition that's doing really cool, great work and, you know, for democracy in Springdale, I don't know, they're, they're out there doing, I mean, look at, you know, they, there was that map of all the states and they had the red arrows and the blue arrows, yeah. right? That wonderful big blue arrow across Springdale. It was yeah. like, that is the product of a lot of people who yeah. are also working full-time jobs and volunteering, getting mm -hmm. a ton of work done. Yeah, definitely. So I think it really started with like, Diana Gonzalez Worthen, you know, she ran back, oh, yeah. I believe, in 2012 yep. for and the state senate, well. yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, it kind of just started there. And 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 shout out to Dan, Dr. Diana Gonzalez Worthen because she was one of my biggest helps. You know, not um, there was a lot of there was several folks, you know, Latinx folks that were involved in politics locally and stuff, but she was really the only one that extended her hand and helped me out. Um, so shout out to Diana, uh, Dr. Diana Gonzalez Worthen. We're going to take a little quick break and we'll be right back. We're going to play some Major Laser Lay Your Head on Me. We'll be right back after this quick break. When you're numb to the touch, you cannot chase this ghost away. This too shall pass, this too shall pass It won't always be the same And every single scar that you claim Is a stone in the path to this place And every single choice that you made Has led you this way So lay your head on me Lay your head on me Don't be afraid of 
Staring down the long night Waiting for the sunrise It's alright, it's okay I've been there in your place It's okay, it's alright Just lay your head on me Lay your head on me Major Laser, lay your head on me. And we're back with Ezra Smith, um, or should I say attorney Ezra Smith. Um, and we were talking a little bit about the campaign back in 2016 when I ran for state representative. But now to more current issues. Um, the election was called yesterday, Saturday, November 7th, right? Sure, I have no and, idea. And it kind of seems like it's been like a whole lifetime since... It feels like a year has gone election by since, night. Yeah, since Tuesday. So what, what were your first reactions? to that, to, to, to it being called on Saturday, which is yesterday. Well, so yesterday was just like jubilant. I mean, I was just over the moon. I was, I'm, there's part of me, and I think you may have seen this, is just like I'm always in that kind of pessimism. I'm always, yeah. you know, I'm very always concerned, and maybe that's the campaign manager background in politics. So I'm still nervous just because um, I think that Donald Trump is a, is a very destabilizing dangerous person but I think the election has shown that he's also much weaker than any of us really thought so probably you know nothing happens but um, what kept me up on, on Saturday was just that they continued to deny the results of the election and just to see more and more you know I mean the Republican Party in Arkansas for example yeah. say we're not accepting really that this election is over you know I mean even the Arkansas Democrat Gazette the editorial board you know did you compare the headlines between them and the New York Times this morning yeah yeah I mean you know so that that is the stuff that kind of dampened my joy but overall I mean my how could you be upset this was a landslide election delivered by a massive coalition of voters I mean there's certainly a lot to unpack with the results in the house and, and you know the results in the Senate that are probably not good for Democrats but are up in the air because of Georgia um, but overall I mean I just this is amazing I mean just to see yeah. the votes come in and to see the coalition of people who showed up to vote in huge numbers I mean, it just kind of, I don't know, it just filled all my, my energy, right? And yeah. kind of restored my soul a little bit, even though I hate to say that, it's Joe <laughs> Biden's campaign slogan, oh, but it, it really, it really did. I mean, it was just, I couldn't be happier than just to celebrate, you know, to see all family and just people in the mm. streets. It was just, I don't know, it felt a very powerful thing. I mean, we have rejected maybe the most totalitarian figure of our age. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, I, there's a lot to unpack, a lot happened in the election, but I, I mean, I just can't be anything other than just joyful. I don't think I've, I've like been able to react to it, yeah. you know, because yesterday That's we fair. we found out we were Myra and I were were dressing up because we had to go to a, one of my best friend's wedding, um, and we didn't really have time to actually take it in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know Myra just wanted to run a scream, you know, or I wanted it to just either uh, like 
show my emotion and I couldn't even I didn't even have time to do that. Um of course Joe Biden wasn't my first pick. Me right? No, like yeah. Joe Biden might have been my last pick in, in the in the Democratic primary. I bol- I'm, or he was down by the down the list, definitely. Um but one of the things that and I wrote a post about this yesterday on Facebook, um for my community, you know, the immigrant community, specifically friends and family that I have that are undocumented, um, having Trump out of office is definitely a big victory. Yeah. You know, um, I'm pretty sure most of my friends also didn't have Joe Biden as their first pick right. um, for this primary. It was either Bernie or Andrew Yang or someone like that, right? But I feel like we do definitely need to let our community celebrate and breathe. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, I feel it on a personal level with some of my very close loved ones who, you know, lost advanced parole with their DACA. So they weren't able to leave the country anymore. Right. Stopped by uh, President Trump. Right. Um, and, and just vindictively, just as, as a vicious thing to do. Yeah. Right. Not for a good reason, not for any other reason than just I'm going to make this harder. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, and, and ending TPS right. for several people as well. Right. Right. And overall, reducing the permit time of DACA to one year. So it's like a one-year renewal, and you still got to pay the, the, the 400, was it 495, 465 amount. Yeah, just pay that every year now. Every year. You know, it used to be two or three years. Now right. it's, it's even, and, and I know people who don't even renew their DACA simply because they don't have the money to do that. You know, they don't have the money to actually um, be able to do that every year. And sometimes they wait months after their, their permit has already expired to ask me, hey, is there any help in the community, anything that I can do to try to get assistance with this? Um, and it's it's really hard. So this, so many things like that happen, besides other things where, you know, he called us uh, Mexicans rapists and, and, uh, and, and just about everything pretty much. And not only our community, you know, the Muslim community took a lot of of that heat as well and other communities. So it's like after enduring that, enduring that for almost four years, um, we have to kind of just just take a little a little breather and be like, okay, like we got two months left, yeah. right? Yeah. Two months left of this presidency. We're hoping things, hopefully, don't don't go for the worst. And don't. I don't think they will. I really don't think they will. And of course, we are can't be complacent with Biden either. You know, he was part of, of the Obama administration that does have the highest number of deportations in our country's history. So we have to really analyze that and make sure that we hold him accountable. But for the meantime, I think it's important for us just to kind of take a breather, celebrate this victory, uh, not be complacent, but for our mental health sake, you know, like we need a breather. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, no, there's no denying that there will not be good outcomes for American people, right, of any community, unless there is a strategic push on the presidency and on Congress, yeah. right? I mean, even if we win in Georgia and the Senate is 50-50, mm-hmm. there's so much still, right, that we will still require to to fight, right? I mean, there's still conservative Democrats in the Senate. There are plenty of conservative Democrats in Congress. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden is, you know, kind of a just a... a He's the, you know, he's the barometer of the middle of the Democratic Party. Yeah. I think that's, I listened to that Ezra Klein show this morning. It's, you know, I picked up that phrase. Um, and so I think a big part of that is what you're saying is rest, right? Mm-hmm. To do all that, to have that energy, to have that passion, right? Because this has been certainly a very long four years. It's been a very long campaign. It's been a very long, I mean, just 2020 itself has been a, you know. And it's so hard to, to listen to folks, you know, who say, 
hey, Joe Biden won. Okay, now, like, you have to be nice to the folks who, you know, made our lives a living hell for the past four years and, and treat them with respect. Like, yeah, treat people with respect, but you can't tell people, you know, to not, not post on social media and say, hey, I'm glad Trump is out. Oh, you know, well, I'm glad yeah. Trump lost. Even if that, even if that hurts the feelings of people who are his biggest supporters, you know, you posting on social media and your friends being like, "Damn, this guy's, he's he's uh he's bragging about it." You know, like I get it, he won the election. Like, let it die down. No, like, people need to show that need to show their emotions publicly, and I don't think people should be judged on that. You know. No, I don't think so either. Well, and I think it's it is just it is you know national gaslighting, right, for the Trump campaign or its spokespeople to turn around and say that we should all you know we should all be sad that the Democrats are destroying the way we talk in American politics, right? I mean, you know, the, the whole cycle of 2020 and the, really the re-election campaign for President Trump was the idea of owning the libs, right? That's what you yeah. see all the time. And so when someone spit in, spits in your eye, you shouldn't spit in their eye back, certainly, but you can't, you know, that person who has been such a bully, who has injected so much anger and hatred into the system and said such awful things. I mean, you know, the, there's a new rising star in the, Demo or the Republican Party, that congressman, uh, I think he's in South Carolina. Um, he's the youngest congressman oh, I ever. I and saw he, that tweet. He tweeted, you know, uh, cry more, you know. And so, so to do all that and then to say, oh, you know, you should be more polite, it's like, that's awfully hypocritical. I mean, I think... I think that for the most part, people in politics are too mean to each other. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain amount of things that are happening in American politics. There's a, there are groups of people who are oppressed, who are decrying their oppression. And that may offend people, but you're not really, I mean, I don't find it, it's not permissible to say, I'm offended, you can't talk to me like that. Because what they're communicating is their oppression. Yeah. And then there are people who are engaging in just very hateful rhetoric, like the Trump campaign has, and their surrogates, and the way they encourage, you know, just people to, to have a discourse, right? I mean, you see how many sheriffs have resigned in Arkansas, at least one in Marshall, who's been tweeting for the last 48 hours about killing liberals, right? Yeah. So it's just like, I agree, every, the tone should be taken down, but we also need to be very real about what's happening, right? I mean, it's, you're not allowed to be offended when someone tells you that the institutions of the state are killing them, right? You mm -hmm. have to listen to them. And if you are out there injecting hatred into the system, you can't be mad when you are beaten, and people celebrate that. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that, that Trump fandom, the, you know, folks putting, like, MAGA on the bios of their Twitters and, and wearing the hats and having the MAGA flags out? I personally, like, I don't see myself ever doing that for a president ever. doesn't matter how sure. liberal or left uh, they are. Um, where do you think that roots from? Do you think that roots from... Uh, people specifically not having some sort of like identity and when they see something like that and they feel like they belong like they love being part of something bigger than themselves kind of thing or well, is I think it... that's very human right I think that's that's universal I, I think with Trumpism there's a lot of grievance at play I think that he plays upon um, I, and what do you think that's gonna ha it's gonna happen now after after this is over with that Trumpism? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happens with Trumpism. I I think the coming months will define a lot of what happens with Trumpism. You know, will the president cling to his power and his sense of control of this of these people, or will he kind of fade? I mean, a part of this, his ego may just drive him out of the public light. Well, I don't, he did I don't say know. in a speech, right, yeah. that like he'll <laughs> never, never come back, never see me again. I'm like, and they great. listened, yeah, <laughs> and the voters said, great. What about his sons and daughters, though? I mean, well, I think that it's tough. I think that they they have barely a thimble of the charisma that the President Trump has that he uses for for not you know pretty bad ways, in my opinion. Yeah. 
So I don't know what they do. I mean, I think he's had a lot of people ally themselves. You know, the Tom Cottons of the world are a good example yeah. of those people who who were not with him at first, were very quiet as he ascended to power, and then and then made a calculated decision. These are the Lindsey Grahams and the Matt Getz, you know, these people who've said, I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt a little bit of Trumpism. I think that when you get it away from the source though, it's not quite as powerful. You know, Tom Cotton It's like light, very, the light. Yeah, it is. Of it. Well, and Tom Cotton is just, you know, he's not very he doesn't give a good speech. You know, Ivanka at the RNC gave a, a pretty flat speech. I mean, these are just not people who go out there and, you know, fire up the crowd. Khan's been doing the Trump hands now. I'm not sure if you've been seeing oh, the videos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's got them down. But, yeah. but you know, he can mimic the hands, but he's still, he's not going to have what Trump was using, right? I mean, Trump Trump engages in a very dark arts, you know, in terms of his rhetoric. It's kind of like a stand-up comedian a little bit. Well, yeah. And, you know, he uses, he, he cuts down his phrases. He uses very common language, right, very common parlance, uh, but he's also, I mean, he's taking cues from American demagogues who have existed, you know, I mean, since before the country existed, mm -hmm. right, and I think it's interesting, too, that in the latter part of the 1900s, those demagogues like George Wallace, they got huge crowds, you know, probably comparable to the crowds that Trump has, yeah. so I'm not really sure that that is totally new. I think the dedication to Trump is obviously, I mean, it terrifies me. I was thinking today about you know, just history generally in the in the, the danger of angst in disaffected populations, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of like, you know, Germany after World yeah. War One. I mean, that's, right? how, that's how Hitler got everybody to follow him, too. Yeah, you know? and so the, so the danger of the false narrative of Trump, our savior, was stolen. His reelection was stolen. You know, I think that's a that's a dangerous narrative that I that I am concerned about going forward. But I don't know what kind of power it really holds because it's going to run up against people's ambition. You know, Tom Cotton wants to be president. Senator Hawley from Missouri wants to be president. Uh, what's his name? The, the guy who's always uh, in Texas, you know? Uh, anyway, all these Republicans who want to be president are going to, to some degree, have to suppress Trumpism mm. because they need their own thing, right? They need their own base of folks. I, I hope that it doesn't become a pattern of, you know, fanatical loyalty to, to leaders. We just certainly didn't see that with Joe Biden on the Democrat side. Most Democrats kind of, I think, really held their nose. I mean, are, are pleased. I think Joe Biden gave an amazing speech yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, don't, I really don't know. I have a lot of uncertainty about it. I, I just, I think presuming right now may be the biggest problem, right, or forecasting. I think, if anything, this election taught us that we really don't know as much about what's going on with the electorate as we think we do. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, this election was, it's a blowout in the Electoral College. It's certainly a huge blowout in the popular vote. It's still too close for me, though. It's just a person who... Um, just the fact that 71 million voted for yeah. Trump, even after everything he's done, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, you hear a lot when people say, this is not who we are, but this is who we are. This is who we are. Well, at least, at least part of our, a, a big chunk of our country is... Yeah okay with sexism is okay with racism and is okay with uh supporting someone who um, oppresses people and i i don't know that's that's really troubling for me to even um to this point you know see the numbers see yeah. the 71 million i think 71 million was the count right i'm not sure I, it sounds right i think yeah. it was around then um and it, it's scary you know there there was a a message going around social media i'm not sure if you saw I it saw, yeah um, the threat where someone said, you know, I, someone told me that, that if Biden wins, um, there'll be people in Fayetteville, Trump supporters, looking to murder mm -hmm. people that are Biden supporters or people of color. Yeah. And even though when I read that, I was probably, I, I thought to myself, this is probably false. It's sure. probably fake, you sure. know, just, just fear mongering. But it's terrifying. Ah, uh, yeah. 
I mean, sure, it's 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 probably fake. It's probably hyperbole, <clears throat> but it's terrifying. Yeah, but part it's like, yeah, it could be fake, but there is still a small possibility it could be real. And we've seen a lot of kind of one-off instances of violence, either politically motivated or racially. I will say this though, and, and you know, it, it's probably my own privilege, say in this part of the conversation, but. I, I blame a system more than I think I blame the individual Trump voters. Mm-hmm. Because I think there are a lot of voters who, I mean, I think there's no question. If you voted for the re-election of Trump, you can't plea ignorance. You can't say that it wasn't about what it was about, right? Yeah. I mean, you've, you've gotten there and you voted that way. and Okay, fine, sure. But, you know, we have allowed the presidency to become an office that venal, power-hungry, dangerous men want to inhabit. And can and I think that we have to we have to focus really I mean and maybe this is the lawyer in me constitutionally about the office of president you know I mean the fact that we have a president who can wage war across the world at all the time right can surveil Americans all the time right can can create policies like President Obama that deal with immigration that deport thousands of people that create mm-hmm. the cages that we decry right during mm-hmm. the Trump administration and I, you know I'm not buying the Trump narrative and, and their justifications but you know that we have a presidency that can do all these things is a huge problem. Yeah. I think there are some ways that we can change our system that makes it harder for these kind of very radical, dangerous, undermining people to get into the system and rock it the way they do because he was so effective, right? Not because he had a loyal Congress. For most, for half of his presidency, he didn't. It's because he had a lot of power. He could do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we have to seriously look at. You know, I mean, I think that there are ways that we could change our government that could that could at least lead to better outcomes. Because just like you said, you know, people say, oh, this is not who we are. It is who we are. I mean, mm-hmm. we're a really big empire in the globe, right? I mean, we do a lot of bad things. We have a lot of corruption. We have a lot of wealth inequality. We have a lot of problems. And they're producing political problems. Yeah. yeah I mean, we pride ourselves on being, like, number one, you know, with our military. And there it's has to be... an awful s- thing to be number one yeah. in. There has to be some sort of level of, like, intimidation there. You know, for you to, to kind of boast about how powerful you are with your arms. You know, oh, with, sure, sure. With sure. your weapons. So I, um, but I guess going back to what I was talking about in regards to what it means to oppress communities, people of color, for a Joe Biden presidency, um, going back to just immigrants in general, I mean, Joe Biden has promised that on his first day of office, he would stop all deportations. Um, he also said that within the first 100 days, there would also be uh some sort of immigration reform um and a lot of people are clinging on to that you know like will it happen can we how can we hold them accountable all of that's still like up in the air it's still it's still very questionable but i do feel that there is a lot of people who have hope that things will change definitely things will change for the positive you know where we're at right now, we're so low right now just on everything. Sure, there will be active destruction. Yeah. Right? Or maybe less active destruction. Yeah. Um, but I definitely like to be hopeful. But I know that, like, just my inner circle of people um, within my organizing community, they would tell me, like, don't trust any politician or just you can't trust anybody who hasn't, you know, experienced what we've experienced. And that's tough, but at the same time, it's like a little part of me, you know, wants... DACA to be reinstated, you know, wants uh, deferred action for for our parents to be reinstated, you know, that would allow um, parents who are undocumented to be able to get a driver's license and be here legally, you know, and Biden has the power of reinstating that. And of course, immigration reform. 
um, just because there's still now more than 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country who are just waiting. I mean, they're here already. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. paying taxes. Paying taxes, living in the community. They're, they are as they are as American it's as like, anyone else. Imagine, imagine if you would just give them the ability of being here legally, being able to get a driver's license. You know, being able to get a job legally. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, for the most part, if if Democrats were to give you know an immigration reform, like how ma- the majority of those folks are gonna are gonna be Democrats. Yeah. So I don't know if you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, Ezra, but. I mean, there's been Democrats as president, there's been Republicans as president, and I think there's been times where there's a certain amount of people within the Senate and within Congress who can get legislation like immigration reform passed, but they didn't. it still hasn't happened. Yeah, and, they, I'm, they and, didn't. I, and I don't get that. Like, I don't get if it's something where it's like, we don't want to officially have these people in our country, or if it's a fear that... You know, these people will be able to either lean towards a, a specific party and outnumber, you know, because 11 million is a big difference. Yeah. This 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 uh, election has been won by about 3 million votes around there. So imagine adding 11 million, probably I would say out of those 11 million, uh, probably 10 million um, or a little bit more would be Democrats. Specifically, if Joe Biden was to was to get an immigration reform passed, people are going to be. Uh, thankful and happy that the Democrats, you know, were able to pass this through Congress and, and eventually becomes a law. And uh, I wonder if there's that fear within the system of folks who are like, what's actually going to happen if we get this, if we get this done? You oh, know? I think that's, I think that's undeniable. I think the saddest part of what you're describing is that in between all of that, all of the back background political work and the strategy and the, and the really kind of venal, like kind of gross, you know, oh, we're going to decide whether or not these 11 million people are citizens not based on ideas about what citizenship is or a nation or community, but about just partisan politics and getting ahead. Mm -hmm. The worst part about it, right, and the reason I think it lingers over the decades is it's a political football. Yeah. I hope, and you know, this is my hope, and I, and I will just say, I have not looked at all the numbers. I've certainly in Texas or in, in, or in the Southwest, I think it's fair to say, you know, there was a huge shift in the Cuban vote in Florida. Yeah. Um, and what I hope it does is I hope it plays to the fears of those very venal political consultants who are mm. doing a lot of, I think, damage within the Democratic Party yeah. for not urging their candidates to take better positions and then once they're elected to pass immigration reform. Because I think I hope the Democratic Party sees that, hey, Hispanic voters are not loyal to the Democratic Party by default. Mm-hmm. If a candidate comes in and campaigns us, even one so you know extreme and so hostile to the community as Donald Trump, there are opportunities to make inroads. And I can, one of, the, one of the good examples that we can use locally is Jed Duggar. Yeah. Jed Duggar actually mm-hmm. went to these Latinx businesses and said, hey, I'm pro-life, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And they didn't know like what party he represented. That's they right. didn't know his alignment, his family's alignment with Trump and all sure. that. Um, and they put his sign in these Latinx businesses here in Springdale. Yeah. And it kind of goes to show when if you talk to someone, you know, they, and you tell them like what you're about, even if they don't know the, like all the bad things or all the oppressive like yeah. shit that you do, <laughs> right? It's right, like they'll right. still they'll they'll still give you a chance and listen to you because it, you're right. Because on one side, it is really duplicitous, right? It's the hey, I'm going to talk to you about a few of the things we may share culturally, mm-hmm. 
but my policy is going to be detrimental to your community, right? My policy mm -hmm. is really going to hurt your community. Because I think, would Jed Duggar do much at all for the, I mean, for the Hispanic community, the Latinx community in Arkansas? I don't think he would. I don't yeah. think he would, I don't think he would raise his voice one time in the General Assembly to raise an issue. Yeah. Not certainly the way Megan did. Well, no one else really did. Like, I mean, we kind of, I think through pressure, Jeff Williams ended up doing something for oh, the Marshallese right. community, that's right? That's right. Yeah. But that was that was because of pressure, because at the same time, his re-election was coming up, and he knew that he had to do something. Yeah. To, it was to close <laughs> last time, yeah. Well, and that comes back to what I think the real, the heart of what you were talking about with what are we actually going to get done? And I, my theory of that is it, it has to be direct action. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there's this big fight in the Democratic Party right now about you know, abandon Black Lives Matter or, you know, and all these other things that are going on. And I think that's just a lot of post-election, you know, nonsense and, and very inside baseball. But what Black Lives Matter did was shake a system. And I think if you want to pass immigration reform, we have to show Congress and the Senate that the American people demand it. And the good, mm -hmm. the good news is that I think most American people do and are, and are there, right? And I think they've been there for a while, but I think the events and just certainly an, an after effect of Trump that's very good is it's consolidated a lot of people around mm -hmm. a lot of things that used to be considered very far, far left, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you saw the, I don't know if you saw the Fox News polls, they were running their exit polling and other polling, you know, 70% of people wanted, you know, basically the Bernie Sanders healthcare plan. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, some of these things are undeniable, but I, I just, think it was close to 70 also for immigration reform. That's right, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was overwhelming numbers of Americans wanted it. But the thing about it is, our Senate is is not accountable. It's not a democratic institution, really. I mean, it's not. It doesn't represent the millions of people in this country, right? Fairly, um, and I think, you know, bless Nancy Pelosi. She's done a lot of great work in, for this world. I I don't know. I don't know that she will take up immigration reform or many of the progressive things I care about yeah. unless we are out there in the way that we were in the months after Trump was elected, in the way that Black Lives Matter has, has just changed the conversation. And mm -hmm. that was taking to the streets, you know, mailbox campaign, anything that it is that just kind of overwhelms the system, not in a bad way, but in a democratic way to say, hey, mm -hmm. you work for us and this is what we want done. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, I hope that Joe Biden keeps his promises, mm -hmm. but I hope that we don't give him much room to fail either. Yeah. I hope that he feels the pressure and that Nancy Pelosi feels the pressure. Mm -hmm. And if it's Mitch McConnell, yeah, I hope he's sweating, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I hope that we are able to bring to bear a, this coalition that has saved America, yeah. right? Definitely. Because yeah. if we abandon them now, the Democratic Party doesn't deserve them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I think that could be said for decades. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so I guess it wouldn't. It, it, we'd have to also. You know, we have to mention Kamala Harris. You know, oh, yeah. she. I mean, also for me, history. For me, like once again, she wasn't in my top five, right? But I still can't ignore the groundbreaking history yeah. that she has created, not only for women but women of color. Um, what did that mean to you to to see you know Kamala up there and you know victorious? Oh my God! Well, it was amazing. I mean, it was. You know, I, once again, right, this is the white guy, right, celebrating, you know, this thing. But it's, it's, it's foundational because it is really the first time that we've lived up to the principles of this country, right? Yeah. I mean, it truly is to say that a woman of color will occupy the second highest position in the land. And soon, I think undeniably, the presidency. I, I think it's undeniably incredible. It's so moving. I mean, it's fantastic. I hope that it continues to shape the system the way that on the local level in Northwest Arkansas, <clears throat> the way that women have stood up to run. I mean, for me, it's just, yeah, it, you know, I hope to have children someday. I, you know, I hope to have daughters someday. I hope they're president someday. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm excited that they will be born into a world 
that um, has elected women to the highest office. Because mm -hmm. I think that'll happen. I think it's undeniable now that it'll happen. I think we are, I mean, you know, say what you will, and certainly people have strong feelings about it. I, I loved Hillary Clinton, right? Mm -hmm. I would just bend over backwards. I ran to Missouri and Ohio and everything. It didn't, it didn't work, but, you know, we fought so hard then, but it just, it is, we are not a plural republic. We're not a republic made of diverse citizens if only some of the citizens get to be in the most powerful position. Yeah. Right? It's just, we're just not. You just can't call us that if we don't do that. It's just a lie. So I really think her election is, is giving truth to the notion that we are a, a government created of on equality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy to think that there wasn't anybody in the White House as president or vice president to 2008. You know, like, it, that much, that many years had to pass by before we, yeah. the United States, had someone of color in this office, um, and you know, and we and we played that as such, you know, and it was, it was, it was hope, it was change, it was two thousand eight, it was something to be proud of. But to your point, I wish that we spent more time recognizing the shame we should feel that yeah. it took this long. Yeah, I mean, even here locally with the Spring Hill City Council, oh, it's yeah. like, like we, of course, uh, groundbreaking also. Kevin Flores won his race. Yes, yes. Um, and but there's still there's still folks, you know, like the Marshallese community. Yeah. There's a lot of, of folks who haven't had uh, someone from the black community as well. You know, Derek Van Vos ran this time and unfortunately didn't win. But why are we still behind? You know, there's there's just so much so many gatekeepers within these mm -hmm. systems who want things to remain the same and until we are able to break down those barriers i mean unless people put in the work like things will remain the same and i think that's why it's important that we focus so much on like registering people to vote yep. on making sure that we remind them about their um election day and and uh help them out with a ride if they need a ride yep. you know all these little things you know specifically working in the bell project for the past year now i've realized much more now the little small things that can make a big difference in the way people are able to successfully comp do something, mm -hmm. complete anything, whether it being you showing up to court, right? Needing a ride. That little thing of needing a ride can be the difference between an FTA. Yeah, you know, right, a $50,000, you know, bond. Yeah. yeah, or in this case, like a little ride can be the difference between an election being won. You know, Megan won her election back in 2018 right. by... 30 votes. I think that's right. Yeah, 30, 34, something like that. Yeah, and it's like, if those people hadn't shown up... Yeah. It's a different election. Yeah. And, there's, and, and it's a different public policy outcome. I think we have to keep in mind that while we do all the work you're talking about, which is vital, which we cannot get around, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just no winning campaigns without that kind of serious effort. Uh, we have to start to challenge the systems that we're running up against, right? Because mm -hmm. to run as a Latinx candidate in Springdale is to face a lot of challenges just because of the way that you have to run, right? You yeah. don't run by districts, right? I mean, what, why is Congress the most democratic institution? Well, we've divided up the country into small pieces, as small as we think we can get them, and we tell those folks, elect someone to govern you, right? Mm -hmm. To represent your voice. And we'll give you every two years, you get to pick that person again if you want them. Yeah. In Springdale, that's not what happens. The whole city gets to The elect. whole city gets to vote. And, it, yeah. and, and it, it's, it's really indefensible and it is intentionally there so that communities that for all intents and purposes right should have a person representing them should have a person who looks like them sounds like them represents their real issues representing them because guess what they're paying taxes yeah. right they're running on the roads they're doing all they're, they're they're the people who go to work every day in the community they're entitled to have their voice heard and the system 
already is tipped really against them. Mm -hmm. So we can register voters and we can overcome the system and we may have to to change it. Yeah. But you know, there are other things that we can do that I think hopefully the Trump administration has taught us, which is to say, hey, people of America, take the power into your own hands. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would like to hear more about, let's amend the Constitution. In Arkansas, uh, the voters denied, it was, it was a huge win for democracy. The voters denied a constitutional amendment that had been passed by the Republican legislature to make it harder for citizens to amend the Constitution. Mm -hmm. That was the whole point. Yeah. Because, and, and why? Because they didn't like that the minimum wage was expanded or mm -hmm. raised. They didn't like that medical marijuana passed. They, they fought as hard as they could to stop it for years and recreational marijuana, certainly. But they see that increasingly as a way that the people of Arkansas are going to express themselves, and they're mm -hmm. trying to curb it. And the people of Arkansas, thankfully, stopped them. Yeah. So I hope to see something, you know, there's no good reason why there couldn't be an amendment that forbids the kind of districting that happens in Springdale. Because yeah. guess what? It happens in Rogers. Mm -hmm. It happens in Bentonville. Mm -hmm. And it's the same reason it's there. Yeah. Yeah, um, no one, and no one wants to. No one within the system wants to change it because it's working well, for them. Systems don't do that, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have a country if it weren't for a bunch of white guys shaking the system, right? Yeah. I mean, so if, if if we're to take anything from them, it's to not be okay with the status quo. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And this election cycle, Ezra, um, can you name one candidate who inspired you? Oh my gosh, I can locally, name. locally, yeah. locally, yeah. And locally, um, I mean Arkansas. Well, then I have to pick Joyce. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Too. I have to pick Joyce Elliott. I. Um, I have known Joyce, I mean, I've known of Joyce before I knew Joyce, but I have known Joyce for years, and I have seen her up late and up early and working long hours and working for others. I mean, I have known Joyce to be a servant of so many people in her community, and she's just like, she's just the real deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and so rarely do you see those people in politics. So rarely, yeah. you know, I mean, the, they're the use of the world, right? These people who are organizers and then get convinced to run, and she just... Oh, the way she ran her campaign about empowerment and, and, and honestly bipartisanship, right? I mean, she did, she did a lot to reach across the aisle, and I thought we really, I thought that might be a race that we could win. I was just so, so upset on the margins, but I, I think it's Arkansas is going to be tough for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but who would your favorite candidate be? Or most That's inspiring? That's a tough one. I mean, I, I got definitely inspired by uh, Maya Carrillo, yeah. um, Derek Van Vost. It's hard for me to pick one. Joyce also, you know, I... I texted Joyce um, after election night, and she just continues to have that positive mindset where it's like, okay, this was just a bump on the road, but you know we're gonna continue and and uh, just kind of not not letting anything get her down. Yeah. Um, so I talk about her all the time just because I kind of feel like for me she is the person that I kind of look up to oh, in Arkansas politics. Yeah, me too. Just because you know I. I do interact with so many people that are running for office, and yeah, sometimes folks you can tell that like are not doing it for the right reasons. Sure, you right. know, it's are, politics. That's why know? a lot of people don't like politics. And right? sometimes people just talk to me because they want you know something translated, or it's like yeah, it's very it's it's a very weird world, and unless you're in it, you won't really understand it. But Joyce has always been really really nice, um, and whenever we had the immigration conversations for Arkansas candidate event, she came and was our our main speaker and uh, I tried to pay her but she was like nah you ain't paying me like I'm doing this because yeah. I know it's right and she drove down from Little Rock and yeah. came down here and for me she's always been a, a mentor and, and she was so close you know I really thought that she was gonna win I thought so too and I hope that she that she runs again because um, sometimes it takes two times to be able to 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 be able to to be victorious and and make the difference that you want to make um, but 
yeah, I think that's the end of the episode, Ezra. I appreciate you making the time. I also appreciate you volunteering for the Bell Project um, and doing pro bono work for us, just because that does go a long way. And having you as a resource, I think, um, is super helpful for us. So we, I just wanted to let you know, you know, publicly yeah, on the radio, <laughs> live means, on the radio, that I appreciate. Um, but anything else that you want to mention, maybe something that you're interested in doing in the community or any kind of... Um, ideas or plans that you have. People can reach you at uh, Wells and Comstock yep. in Fayetteville. Yep. Um, I don't know the address. Do you know the address? 2343 East Joyce, suite number six. I and what kind of law do you practice? Um, I do mostly defense work, civil defense work. I do a little bit of criminal work. Um, but yeah, most of my world is just pretty routine. Um, but yeah, Irvin, thanks for having me. I, this was a great time. I appreciate you being here. And uh, that's the end of the podcast for this week. Check us out next week. Thank you, Ezra, and we'll have to have you back on the show again. Awesome. Thanks, Irvin. Take care.